Julie, welcome back to Saltier Politics. It's been a minute, but I'm excited to talk. Today's a big day for your son. It's his birthday. It is his birthday. He's nine. He kind of checkmated me the other day. The frontal lobe, you need to repeat that because that stuff, that was gold. So we're walking to school. I forgot what I was saying to him, but it was something he had done. And I was like, uh, it wasn't really a smart decision on your part. We probably shouldn't do that. And it was, and he just looks at me and he goes, mom, the frontal lobe doesn't fully develop until you're about 20. So it's not my fault that my brain hasn't developed yet. And so I don't know why you're mad at me. Like it's basically a science. <laughs> I don't make smart decisions all the time. How did you respond to that? I go, so you're telling me this is a neurological excuse? And he's like, yeah. And I'm not even sure he knew what neurological meant, but I think it sounded like I was cutting him a break. So he's like, yeah, pretty much. And so here's my dilemma. First and <laughs> foremost, I don't even know if he just pulled this out of thin air or whether this is actually a fact, but you can't really argue with somebody if you don't know the answer. So I couldn't be like, that's just not true. So if it is true, it's kind of a checkmate. Like, what do you say to that? Okay. And if it's not true, then I can almost give him credit for coming out with that one out of thin air and making it up. I think it is true, though. No, it, it is. I know. I think your brain doesn't fully develop until you're older. But it is a pretty good excuse. I don't think you've ever, having watched you on Fox, I don't think you've ever once been checkmated on air, but I believe your son is the one to have done it. I just checkmated, <laughs> checkmated by a kid who uh, turned nine. <laughs> yes, it's oh. true. Now, I'd say I'm out of practice debating people for a living, but all I do is debate him 24-7 because that's all he does constantly, all the time. And yet I think he finally got the best of me. I know, which, I mean, smart kid. Well, what, speaking, do, you, what do you say to that? You don't because, I, I don't mean, know what to say to that. You're like, okay. you know what? That is true. Like, that, I guess you can, I guess you, you can go low and be like, I guess your brain isn't that smart, as smart as mine, so you have to listen to me. I guess that's good. But then he'd be like, well, it's not my fault if I don't because my frontal lobe's not fully developed. Gosh. I know. It's annoying how smart he is, too. That's that's quite a yeah. retort. It's a, it's, it wasn't even a retort in the sense of a fight. He just came out with it. He was like, yeah. well, anyway, so I don't know why you're giving me a hard time because um, I've got all the scientific reasons in the world for why you're, I don't need to listen to you. I'm incapable, in fact, of doing the right thing because my brain has not yet matured to the level where I have to. Checkmate. Okay, so I also wanted to see you were on Twitter writing about Airbnb. What happened? Oh my God, Airbnb, I, I'm literally, I don't even know where to begin because they're so awful. So, you know, I'm going to Spain. So months ago I reserved, and I, I've always known the dates that I was going to be in Spain. It was always going to be the week of the 4th of July. That was never changing. So I want to say like in April, even before we knew Americans would be allowed back in Europe, I went and I booked a, a apartment in Madrid for that week. And Airbnb, you know how sometimes they say automatically you could add something to your calendar? Like, do you want to add these dates to your calendar through the Airbnb app? So I was like, sure. So I automatically add the dates to their Airbnb app. And sure enough, it's the right date. So I know that Airbnb knew it was the right dates because they automatically added it to my calendar. They allowed them access to my calendar to, to download the dates. I get an email from the host of this apartment, maybe I want to say Tuesday morning. And he says to me, 
So the week that you're going to be there this June, um, June 6th through 10th, I think was the dates that he had. Um, I just want to let you know that, I don't know, they're replacing the air conditioner or something. I forgot what he said. So I wrote him back and I said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not going to be there June 6th through 10th. I'm going to be there, whatever the dates were in July. And he's like, no, no, you're going to be here June 6th through 10th. And I was like, well, First of all, I'm not. Secondly, it's impossible for me to be because Americans aren't even allowed into Spain until I believe June 7th. I've been checking because I wanted to make sure that actually this trip can happen. So I know for a fact that I couldn't be there June 6th because I'm not even allowed to be there on June 6th because Spain is not reopening to foreign travel or at least travel from the United States until the following day. Anyway, he's not refunding my money. Um, I call Airbnb. I speak to like 20 people. They all give me the runaround. Um, I then tweet out what I tweet out. Airbnb customer service, you know, immediately contacts me through Twitter. Can you please direct message us? I said, sure, no problem. They then give me the runaround. And I'm like, you don't understand. Your system changed the dates. They changed the dates that I was supposed to be there. And they're like, no, that's impossible. I'm like, well, it's not impossible. It happened. Right. This woman's like, I've been working here for X number of years and this has never happened. I go, I don't really care if I'm the first. I sincerely doubt that I'm the first, but I sincerely, you know, don't care whether I am or not. You have to refund me my money because this host is not refunding me my money or if he's keeping 50 percent of it, um, which is significant. Yeah. And they just they were so rude. First of all, the guy on the phone kept interrupting me. And I said, can I speak to your manager? And every time I'd say that, he'd start interrupting me. And finally, I said, are you just not putting me? on the phone with your manager? Like, are you just refusing? Like, are you telling me that you're refusing to put me on the phone with your manager? So he's like, or let me talk to my manager. So he puts me on hold for probably five minutes, which is annoying. And then he comes back and he's like, my manager is going to call you back. Well, sure enough, of course, it's now four days, three days later. I haven't heard back from the manager. Um, haven't heard back from anybody other than the fact that everybody at Airbnb that I reached out to was just exceedingly rude and unhelpful. Not even that they were unhelpful. It was the way they were unhelpful. Just an exceedingly rude level of interaction. I mean, I lost a lot of money, but I got another apartment in Spain. It wasn't through Airbnb, and I will never use Airbnb again. And I will certainly urge everybody on the planet not to use Airbnb again. There are other services. I remember I went to um, Argentina many years ago, and I used a, a service called VRBO, Vacation Rental by Owner. And that's what I'll be doing from now on because Airbnb is just brutal. They're awful, 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 and rude, and just the complete opposite of the customer is always right. That's absolutely awful, and that just I puts mean, a gray cloud yeah. over your trip. What's annoying is I lost a lot of money because they're not refunding me. I only could get a 50% refund. The guy couldn't change my dates because apparently the apartment's booked for the dates in July that I'd originally booked it for with somebody else. And the whole experience was just really unpleasant. And it wasn't even so much, I mean, it is the money, but in addition to the money, it's also just the level of awfulness in dealing with them. They were just incredibly rude. I had that experience once with American Airlines many years ago. I remember I was trying to make it to my friend Sungmin Kim's wedding. Remember, we had her on the podcast, Sungmin Kim, who covers the White House for the Washington Post. She was getting married in D.C., um, I had to do an outnumbered on a Saturday. I forgot why. I think it was 16, so it was in the middle of the primaries. I just remember I got to the airport in time <laughs> to still board the flight, but American wouldn't let me board because by the time I – it was just whatever. So I have not used American Airlines since. 
And so I will never use Airbnb much like I will never use American Airlines again. Like it's just brutal that these people expect to treat their customers this way and then think the customer is just going to turn around and continue to, to be there. That's a difference with a hotel too. Like an Airbnb should take that up, especially with strong customer service. Cause hotels I feel are, you're always right. Okay. Let me just upgrade you and fix this situation. Yeah. Okay. Next story. And this one, not quite political, but I know that you're a history buff and uh, about the Mary queen of Scots, her rosary is oh, getting kills stolen. Kills me, kills me, kills me. Yeah, because, okay, first of all, you light up when you talk about this stuff because you know a shit ton about it, which is a fun fact about Julie. But so the rosary beads, they were lost in a raid, and they're the one thing that kind of stays with, or that has been left behind from Mary, Queen of Scots, and she carried them to her execution in 1587. But Yeah, so she's a Catholic martyr, or she always wanted to be a Catholic martyr. Um, I don't know if people understand sort of what was going on back then, but she was... Queen Elizabeth's cousin, um, and she, not this Queen Elizabeth, the first Queen Elizabeth, um, and this was during the Reformation. There was a strong movement afoot that Queen Elizabeth's father, Henry VIII, which I think most people know, um, left, took England out of the Catholic Church and, and created the Church of England over a bunch of different matters, not the least of which was he wanted to get divorced from his queen and marry um, Anne Boleyn, who was Elizabeth the first mother. But anyway, it doesn't matter. What, what's important is that there was a massive war being waged both within England, but also externally with the Vatican and then with France and with Scotland, between which religions were going to dominate. And Mary, Queen of Scots, was the last Catholic queen of, of France. She was eventually overthrown by a bunch of her, her noblemen who then turned Scotland into, or even before she was overthrown, Scotland basically became a, a, a Protestant country. She was a devout, lifelong Catholic, and when she escaped Scotland because she was fleeing for her life um, from from her nobleman, she ran to England and asked Queen Elizabeth to give her shelter, and Queen Elizabeth instead imprisoned her. And she sent, spent the rest of her life being moved from one castle to the next, um, imprisoned. And she was plotting to overthrow, even while in prison in these castles, she was plotting to overthrow Queen Elizabeth. And so ultimately, Queen Elizabeth reluctantly, very reluctantly, because she didn't think that um, a crowned head of a state should ever be killed, but reluctantly, Queen Elizabeth allowed Mary, Queen of Scots, to be beheaded. And Mary, Queen of Scots, portrayed herself always as a Catholic martyr, that she was dying for the Catholic faith. In fact, she wore black, and I can't believe I'm pulling this all out of my head, but <laughs> you got me started. She wore black to her own beheading, but underneath her black uh, dress, she had a little, not a little, she, uh, a skirt that was blood red, which is the Catholic symbol for martyr, for martyrdom. And so she died believing that she was a martyr for the Catholic religion. So for her, the rosary beads that she carried were incredibly powerful, obviously, because uh, rosary beads are, are a sign of Catholicism, something that Catholics use to pray, um, obviously. So this is like a huge chunk of late, medieval early renaissance history not just for the british but for the wars of religion that took place at the time for european history even affecting you know us here in the united states so it's sad i mean it's sad to me that something like this would be stolen because whatever the value is monetarily is not even comparable to what the value is historically you know if i had if i had that kind of money i'd just pay these thieves, whatever they wanted, just to get this back. 
just to get it back into the public domain. Um, I know you don't really pay people off like that, but I mean, this is something that's just so significant culturally and historically um, that it's very sad to me who loves history so much, and especially this part of history and especially this part of, of, of British history, um, that it would be stolen. Um, very sad. And I, 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 hope, I hope they return it. When I was reading about her, because I had to actually do a reader on this for the show, I found out that a blade struck three times before successfully beheading her. Beheadings back then, it depends how much they wanted to spare you. Anne Boleyn, um, who was the mother of um, Queen Elizabeth and, and the second wife of Henry VIII, who he basically upended all of England for, divorced his wife of, of, of many, many years, married her, and then about a thousand days later, decided he wanted to be rid of her and ended up beheading her um, and on trumped up charges, saying that she had had all these affairs with all these different men, including her own brother, which everybody kind of believes is false. But he wanted to be rid of her and to marry somebody else. He was kind of a serial, um, ser serial husband, I should say. When she was the first queen, she was the first queen of England to ever be beheaded, um, one of two who was ultimately beheaded. And he took her to... She went to the Tower of London and she, out of mercy to her, he actually sent for a, he was called the headsman of Calais. He was sent to Calais, which at the time was, was a British settlement, now obviously part of France, because she needed somebody who could take her head off with a sword in one fell swoop. Because usually what they do is they would use axes and axes are obviously not that sharp. Uh, and especially axes that have been used before are kind of dull. So for her, um, for Anne Boleyn, they used a swordsman from Calais who came and in, in, in one fell swoop lopped off her head. Um, but that wasn't the typical case. Typically, they would use, when they would behead people, they would use these axes that they would use on other people. And so it would take a while. In fact, uh, another, I don't want to get into this, but there was a woman, um, a, a cousin of Henry VIII's, who he also beheaded. She was uh, the head of the Catholic resistance at the time in England. And it took her so long to get her head chopped off that she actually, from pain, apparently got up and started running around. She got off the the log where her head was. <laughs> and with her head hanging, she was apparently started almost running around like a chicken kind of without its head on because it took that long for it to be fully lopped off and was a total butchering. That was typical back then. So I'm not surprised that it took that long for Mary, Queen of Scots, to get her head chopped off. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You have a, yeah. See, this is this is why I felt like our audience though, needed to hear this just like crazy amount of British history knowledge that you have wow. in there. You do a whole separate podcast on this time period. I am like obsessed, obsessed with this time period. And I always have been. And I will always said if I had no other responsibilities in life and no reason to worry about making a living and not a child that I had to <laughs> spend uh, money putting through school and college and, and so on and so forth. If I, if I just lived for myself and money were not an option, I'd move to, to England and, and go to Oxford or Cambridge, whoever has the best early Renaissance history department and just study this because I, I, I'm just so fascinated by this time period. It's just an amazing, amazing time. Kind of like the time we're living in now where the last 150 years, think about it, the Industrial Revolution, I guess the last 200 years, almost the Industrial Revolution, and then obviously what we're going through now 
with automation and, and computerization and, and just a huge cultural shift. Um, that was what was happening in the 15th, 16th century um, in Europe. It's such a fascinating history um, where they went from an agrarian society to, to just, just everything changed, the wars of religion and all the different characters who plotted and, and, and made up that time period. And it's just so fascinating that I urge you and everybody else, if they're interested at all, to just read about it because it really reads like truth is stranger than fiction for a lot of this. It's just amazing the stuff that went on back then. Do you have a favorite so, book that you recommend on that period? Oh, I don't even know. I've read so many of them. Um, it depends if you want to read fiction or nonfiction. Actually, you know who does a very good job on this time period um, is, uh, if you remember, there's a movie. The movie was awful, but the book is really great. It's a fiction book, and it's somewhat accurate, but it's very good, called The Other Bowling Girl. That was with Natalie Portman, correct? Yeah, and that was a I, bad movie. I remember um, because I, I have a crush on her, and I thought, I will watch this Natalie movie. Portman? Really? Yeah, I did for a long time. Interesting. Since Black Swan, yeah. Before okay. Black Swan. I hate a Black Swan. I really liked Natalie, Natalie. Portman and Mila Kunis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a simple lady. <laughs> that's funny. I'm trying to think if I were if I were gay, I'm not sure she'd be my person. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, what matters is she was not great in that movie, and that movie was not great. But the book is very good. It's by a woman named Philippa Gregory, and it's a really fascinating read. And as I said, it's um, somewhat accurate, not particularly um well, we don't know how accurate, how accurate it is or isn't, but um, but it's a great read, and I really recommend that you read it. Very, very okay. good. All right, and now to today's politics. I am really interested because we didn't get to talk about this on your take on the on Liz Cheney. Do you see her upcoming reelection bid as a referendum on the future of the Republican Party? Um, I think Liz, you know, Liz Cheney to me is fascinating because Liz Cheney. I kind of have this, you know, you live by the sword, die by the sword of mentality when it comes to Liz Cheney. And it, Liz Cheney should be an apocryphal, she should be a lesson for the Kevin McCarthy's of the world um, and for all, for, for Mitch McConnell, for all these other whack jobs who are enabling Trump in the worst way possible. Because the revolution, I've said this before, the revolution always comes for you and it always eats its young. And you see it time and time and time again. And if you enable the worst elements of the zeitgeist, eventually it comes for you because you're never pure enough, right? And in Donald Trump's life, nobody's ever pure enough. So you could be with him 99.9% of the time, but the 0.1% of the time you're not with him, he'll come for you. Liz Cheney is a great example of that. Liz Cheney engaged in this birtherism nonsense that Donald Trump unleashed with Barack Obama. Liz Cheney voted with Trump almost always, ironically, much more so than the woman who replaced her. And yet, for speaking the truth, which is fundamentally just that he won the election, he lost the election. I mean, all she said was Joe Biden won the election, which is a fact. Liz Cheney was basically speaking of decapitated, decapitated, and not with one fell swoop in a very messy way. Yeah. So and, and probably will face a primary in Wyoming and, and, and probably will lose, which is fascinating because, again, the Cheneys themselves, of course, you want to talk about alternate reality, the reality that they created in Iraq, which didn't comport with what really was going on. It continues to be the case that unless you are ever more 
supportive of, of Trump, who who keeps raising the ante for for the craziness that he engages in, for the craziness that he promotes. Unless you're that, you're it's going to come for you eventually. And Kevin McCarthy is next. I mean, it's going to come for Kevin McCarthy because remember, Kevin McCarthy dared to criticize Trump after the June, January 6th uprising, then had to go back to Mar-a-Lago and grovel after Trump took a smack at him. <laughs> so they're enabling this stuff. Like the tail is wagging dog. These are not leaders. These are people who are being led by the mob with Trump as the Pied Piper of the mob. I mean, that's really the, the visual here. You see it time and time again, and I don't want to get historic again. I don't want to talk about history again, but I will. Uh, you had this with the French revolutionaries who overthrew the monarchy, and then you had Robespierre, the head of the, the head of the French Revolution, effectively one of the heads of the French Revolution. Eventually, who, who beheaded I don't know how many people. Eventually, he got beheaded. He wasn't pure enough. You had this with the Bolsheviks in the Soviet Union, where they overthrew the monarchy and, and, and created and unleashed a lot of horror upon the populace. And then 90% of them got shot themselves by people who became even crazier, by, by Joseph Stalin, who, who was the craziest of them all, and who demanded the same kind of allegiance, where if you, if you dared to step out of line and criticize or even look askance at anything he was doing, you were an enemy of the people and you got shot. It's Trotsky, let me look at Trotsky, right? Trotsky was a brutal person in the revolution, was responsible for a lot of death, ultimately fell out with Stalin, and he got <laughs> he got a pickaxe through the head in Mexico in 1940, where he, where he fled um, from Stalin. I mean, it, you if you don't constantly enable the craziness, and the craziness keeps getting ratcheted up, it always does, it always does, you'll be, you'll be killed, you'll be dead. I, I kept expecting Liz Cheney. I was waiting for the news report and the headline for her to kind of flip-flop and go back on it. And I'm, I, I mean, I applaud her for not because I think oh, she flip-flopped. Yeah. She flip-flopped because she, don't forget, then they asked her about what was going on with all these law changes in Georgia and other places where they're Arizona, where they're trying to effectively prevent people from voting. And she's like, yeah, yeah, we have to take a look at that because, you know, we have to make sure there's nothing going on that's wrong. Well, Republican after Republican in those states, the very people in charge of the electorate, Elections in those states have said repeatedly nothing is a scam. I mean, this isn't some Democratic plot. Republicans have said this. So, of course, now she's kind of backtracking a little bit because she's trying to cover herself. So I don't, you know, I don't respect Liz Cheney for, for speaking the truth. She's not a martyr. I mean, it's the least. It, it's less a reflection on her than it is on the rest of the party. And how completely insane and off the rails they've gotten. And I can't tell you how many Republicans I know in my, in my real life, not the ones on TV who do this for a living and privately understand that they're you know, part of a joke. People in real life who, who just, they're, they're really having an identity crisis because they're, they're not Democrats. They're not ideologically aligned with the Democratic Party. But they just can't believe what's going on. I mean, they just don't even want to be a part of it anymore. And these are Republican operatives. I mean, these are people who de dedicated their life to the Republican Party. Sad, and it scares the hell out of me. What scares me more than anything else is I don't know how this ends. I don't see an end to this. Well, and what's really scary is the gerrymandering happened even where I grew up in Florida, where Stephanie Murphy was elected and then Val Demings is right in the district next door. They're gerrymandering and redistricting these areas where 
I know Stephanie Murphy's not going to run again, and she's, I think, going to go up against Rubio. But they're afraid because they're not going to win their local old district because of redistricting, which is really scary. All of these Republican legislatures are putting rules in that will disenfranchise, I don't know how many people in the cities, traditionally Democratic voters like people of color, in the name of election safety, whatever they call it, which is anything but. The minority is going to continue ruling the majority. I mean, as it does through the Electoral College and as it will again here through gerrymandering. I don't, again, I don't know how this ends because you have millions more people in this country supporting Democrats, right? Many more voted globally in the House of Representatives. Millions and millions more people voted for the Democratic candidate than the Republican candidate. In the Senate, millions more people voted for the Democratic candidate than the Republican candidates. And certainly for president every time, uh, except for since I believe 1992, except 2004, more Democrats than Republicans have voted for the president, for the Democratic candidate for president, even though, even though not all those elections resulted in a Democratic president. So at which point are people just going to say, I'm, I'm, this is like a tyranny of the minority. I'm being ruled exactly. and governed by people who don't represent my point of view. The way gerrymandering happens now, we have fewer and fewer swing districts, which means that on both sides of the aisle, people care more about losing primaries than they do about lo losing general elections. And so that makes them go extremely to the right. That's how you They're, get Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's how you get Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's insane. Well, it's just absolutely insane. Speaking of insanity, what is making you salty this week? You know, actually not much is making me salty this week. I It's my little boy's birthday, so I'm very happy about that. I was just reminiscing with my mother about the 35 hours of labor hell that he put me through <laughs> and also mentioned it to him. He didn't particularly feel guilty about it, which, uh, again, my Jewish mother skills need working because <laughs> I didn't elicit any guilt from him on that one. And uh, nothing, I'm, I'm, nothing's really making me salty. The only thing that's really on my mind is, is what I just said. I'm, I'm starting to be increasingly concerned about how divisive the internet and fragmented cable news um, has made America. And I just don't know how we get it back. Because I keep thinking, I was in Washington on 9-11 and in those couple of months after 9-11, people really came together. And, and I just guarantee you, if 9-11 happened today, if it happened on the Republican watch, the Republicans would double down and say, we don't need an investigation into how this happened and you know, blah, 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 or, or, or vice versa. I mean, the fact that you had the Republican Party spend years on Benghazi to, to find nothing, by the way, and now saying, well, it's very divisive for us to even have congressional hearings into the, what happened on January 6th, and we should just move on. Really? Yeah. Because you know that if the roles were reversed and there were Democrats who were storming the castle there, we'd have hearings for the next 20 years by these people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the very selective memory. hours I spent on Fox talking about Benghazi. <laughs> I mean, if it rained outside, they'd be like, well, of course, it's because of Hillary Clinton and Benghazi. Like, what? I mean, 
everything yeah, was about Let's Benghazi. go to Trey Gowdy right now. Let's let's bring in some Benghazi talk, like literally every other segment. You get to the point where you're like, are you kidding me? Everything was Benghazi. I mean, everything was Benghazi. <laughs> and uh, how many, uh, they had four, six committees. I don't even know how many they had investigating Benghazi. And here, the same people who are talking, I guess now I am getting salty, but the same people who keep talking, spent all of last year, Blue Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter. I'm, you know, I, uh, I go to Pennsylvania pretty often, and I, I keep seeing these Blue Lives Matter flags flying from people's houses. And that's great. Fantastic. Okay, you think Blue Lives Matter. Okay, guess what? You saw, you saw with your own eyes, cops having the crap kicked out of them. Right. I mean, violently, violently assaulted. Nope, nope, nothing. That's just divisive. Why are we talking about this? What? Blue Lives Matter? Really? Because, of course, they understand that <laughs> what this investigation might find, at best, is that Donald Trump provoked them. And at worst, that there were probably people in the House that day collaborating with the people invading the House that day. They, know, they just don't want to get busted. And so that's pretty awful. And then you have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's broken every norm you possibly can. He's shattered every norm that Donald Trump had not shattered. She's continuing to shatter, including weird obsessions with analogizing the Holocaust and Jews to what's going on, you know, politically today. Kevin McCarthy's afraid to sanction her. It took a full vote of the House of the Democrats to remove her from committees. Her own caucus, the Republican conference, will not sanction her. Meanwhile, Liz Cheney, for saying that the one uh, that the Biden won the election. Yeah, she, you know, Liz Cheney's got to go. <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, this woman is out of her mind. So um, speaking of salty, I am salty about uh, how Texas is poised to remove its last major gun restrictions so people can carry handguns without a license, background check or training. Coming from Florida, which is pretty loose with its gun laws, it's pretty easy to get a concealed carry permit. I got one when I was 22. This is really bad for everybody. And even uh, we had on our show Art Acevedo on, who is a former Houston police chief. And he was like, you know, Greg Abbott says he's for the blue, but the blue does not want this. This is bad. So it kind of goes into exactly what you were saying. You say you're for the blue, but are you really? Because why would you put people on the streets who could be carrying a gun without training, without the respect for the weapon that they're carrying? Texas is a great example of a state where you've got people in Dallas and Houston and Austin, I guess more Houston than Dallas, um, who just had it. Yeah. It's had it. And, and yet they're being governed again by, by ex- alternate reality. Yeah. All right. Julie, right. I hope your son has a wonderful birthday. Thank- you. I got to go and get ready for his little birthday party. All right. Thanks. All right, bye. bye.